0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God or the world? The choice, Christ or culture for us? We can choose Christ. We are dealing with this theme of opposition. That's what the chapter is about. Nehemiah chapter 4, as we talk about opposition and how to handle opposition, I think you know and understand that opposition is absolutely inevitable. It's inevitable in life, it's inevitable in the church, and it may well be that it's necessary If God is able to do much in our lives, it may well be that he uses opposition to get us in a position where he can use us and use us in a greater way. There are always going to be people who are opposed and negative and critical. I've never known of a church that didn't have folks who were negative and critical I. I think anybody in this service tonight would have to admit that you have never been a part of a church any time in your life when somebody or some folks were not negative and critical. At school, you're going to find some kids who are negative and critical. In the school system, folks are negative and critical. In the political system, folks are negative and critical. In society as a whole, You will never be able to find a group of people of any size at all without finding those who are negative and critical. In fact, society is basically negative. So opposition, negative thinking, criticism, those are things that are absolutely essential in the Christian life. And they're part of the church. For good or for bad, we have to reckon that they're part of the church. I went back to the library and, and read the history of this church and the major when this church made major steps forward, I read about the, the moving to the new location and the vote on that. By the way, it wasn't unanimous. It wasn't even close. By the same statistics, if we voted, it would mean like a thousand people voting against it. So, and those were in the good old days, remember? In the good old days. There's no such thing as good old days. We just have bad memories. People have always been opposed to change. And uh, there have always been those who would be negative. We can't get around that. Let me tell you the good part is that God uses opposition in our lives as Christians to help us advance forward. I'm going, you're going to be so glad you came tonight because I'm going to tell you something that you're just glad that you got to hear. You're going to be glad you got to hear this. Listen carefully. The great Spurgeon talks about it in his own life that many times he was just... Beaten down with discouragement and depression. There are times that he wanted to give up the ministry when he was preaching to thousands of people as a young, young man. He said, I just want to go off, maybe go off to America and hide, go out in the woods somewhere. Discouragement and depression. And he said, when I faced my greatest discouragement and opposition, I found that it was always right before a door to the greatest ministry of my life. That the greater the depression and discouragement and the greater the opposition, the greater the door of opportunity that God was about to open. And I found that to be true in my life and in other people that I've read and talked to, that many times when God takes us through times of discouragement and even depression, and when we face strongholds and opposition, God is purging us and God is stripping us of our pride and God is getting us ready for the greatest day of opportunity that we have ever experienced. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. As we began a new year to think that this could well be the greatest year for God that we have ever experienced, we don't know what God has out there. We do know that we can allow discouraging things that have happened to draw us closer to God and to to make us humble before before God and dependent upon God so that God can do in our lives what he wants to do. Opposition is inevitable. Opposition is also necessary. If God's going to do anything much with us, If God's going to use us in a great way, somebody says if God wants to use you tremendously, he has to hurt you deeply. There's some truth in that. If God wants to use this church in a great way, then then he's going to allow some things to really cause us to look deep within ourselves and what we are about. To search our own souls and to get as close to God as we know how to get. I want you to turn the passage over in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 before we get into the 4th chapter of Nehemiah. The 4th chapter of this Corinthian epistle. We find these words, beginning with verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now that's Paul speaking. Paul, a great, great leader, and he knew what it was to face difficulty and discouragement and depression and opposition. Almost every direction he encountered some kind of opposition, opposing forces. He says, but it's not got the best of me. I love the way Phillips in one of his books translates this part in in verse 9 cast down but not forsaken. Philip says, knocked down but not knocked out. Because not only is opposition necessary in the life of Christians, but leaders face unbelievable criticism and opposition. And the more effective the leader is, the greater the criticism and the stronger the opposition. There is not any leader that is able to escape the bars of the critics. It's totally impossible. It comes with a territory. It's an occupational hazard. It's part of the job. They say, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, that's a part of it. That's leadership. Leadership involves that. It's always involved that, and it always will involve that. Not only is opposition inevitable and necessary, but it is impossible to lead a people without facing opposition. The biblical leaders couldn't do it, and neither can leaders today do it. So opposition is a part of life. Now let's look at Nehemiah and find out about how he dealt with opposition, and let me just uh, remind you of chapter 2. If you'd be... Turn back to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, and let's look at this opposition when it first began. Chapter 2, verse 10, when Sanballat and Tobiah heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. When they heard about this wall going to be built, they got upset. It grieved them that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. They were upset about that. They were displeased, and they voiced their displeasure. Now move on over to verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king?" I want you to notice the progression there. It began with two people who were in opposition. And now it moves to three people as Geshem joins. And then we're going to find out in chapter 4, multitudes are now in opposition. So we see the progression of opposition. It began with a couple men, Sanballat and Tobiah. They were negative, they were critical, they were angry. And they began to talk to other people and to spread that and to infest the the cancerous thing of negativism into other people. And they began to get other people to think like they were thinking. And the crowd grew until in chapter 4, they are totally surrounded by people who think like Tobiah and Sanballat and then Geshem and now a multitude of people. You can always get people to be negative with you if you choose to be negative. If you choose to be critical, you can always get people to be critical with you. It's like my preacher dad used to say, any light will draw a few bugs. I mean, you can get a following for anything that you want to do And it's a lot easier many times to get a following if you want to be negative or critical and put things down than it is any other way. And that's what we find here in this fourth chapter of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah takes a stand in the second chapter and he says to them, we're going to build this wall and you're not going to have any part in it. He just really draws a line. And he says, this work of God is going to happen. And you who are critical, just get across. Here's the line. He just drew a line and said, the wall is going to go. Now, they didn't stop their criticism, but now they're on the outside looking in. And the wall, remember the wall is built all around the city And it's built at the same time around the city, so it's gradually coming up. We find in this chapter it is now halfway up. And the critics are still hollering their innuendos and their criticisms and their remarks and their sarcasm, but they're on the other side looking in and they're hollering across the wall, and the wall keeps going up. Now, that's the picture we find in this fourth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Let's begin with verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was angry and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Now, this is the same man who lashed out before, and Nehemiah's already said to him, you have have no part in the work of God. He drew the line, he took a stand. Somebody was telling me about a moody science film showing how a beehive works and the queen bee and how she's worshipped and adored and, and uh, the drones and how they work and work and work. And this film was showing all of this and all of a sudden, without the filmmakers knowing what was happening, a hornet flew in and landed right beside the queen bee. Well, the, when that happened, immediately every things stopped working, and they all just descended on that hornet, and the hornet just disintegrated. Now, they left that in that film because the message was that a hornet doesn't belong in a beehive. Well, Nehemiah, this strong leader, had already said to Sanballat, a hornet doesn't belong inside the wall and he had drawn the line he had taken a courageous stand but it didn't stop sanballat and so he heard that we had built the wall he was angry and he took great indignation and mocked the jews why was sanballat mad many reasons one had to do with money economical for jerusalem to to progress it meant samaria might lose some of its Trade. A main highway would go through Jerusalem, and now with a wall, it might depress Samaria. So it would hurt his pocketbook. And then Sanballat had no control over what was happening. No one had consulted him. How could they build a wall here without consulting this man Sanballat? So he was angry and mad, and he began to draw people around him. And he infiltrated them with his own thinking, And they were all looking from a human point of view, forgetting that it was God's wall that was being built in obedience to God. They were looking from a human point of view. Isn't that just like us today? It's so easy to think about things just with our minds. It's so easy to look at things just from the human perspective, to be horizontal in our thinking and not vertical to figure out things with our mind and not say, what does God want? And is God in this work? Is this of God? Is this construction to be of God? Is this wall to be of God? And he spake before his brethren, verse 2, and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Now, this is opposition by ridicule. When there is opposition to God's work, it usually begins by ridicule. Oh, it, it won't work. It can't be done. It's not needed. It's not necessary. And the ridicule starts. And these people say, what can these feeble Jews do? Without us they can do nothing. What can these feeble Jews do? Can they fortify themselves? Can you Jews do this? You weak, feeble Jews. Surely you're not going to trust this great project of building this great wall to yourselves. You're not going to fortify yourselves. You can't do this. Not feeble Jews. Will they sacrifice Now, again, this is ridicule that moves from them to God. What are you going to do? You can't build that wall. Are you going to get God to help you? You think you've got God to help you? Their mockery moved from mocking Nehemiah and the people to mocking God. Listen very, very carefully. When you mock God's workers, you mock the work of God. And the offense is against God. You can't rule that out. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why before we oppose the work of God in any way, we must pray and pray and ask God, God, is it your work, is it your will, Because if we mock those doing God's work, then we mock God. Will you sacrifice? Will you get God to help you? They're ridiculing God. And then they say, will they make an end in a day? Are you going to do it in a day? What are they doing? Ridicule uses the ridiculous. It exaggerates. They're going to try to build that wall. They never intended to build the wall in a day. They never said they would build it in a day. They built it in record time, 52 days. But are you going to build this thing in a day? They're exaggerating. They're ridiculing. They're putting down. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Stones were limestone. And you remember the city was destroyed by fire and those stones were burned and the stones lost their durability and their strength. And so they're ridiculing them and they're putting them down and they say, do you think you can revive those stones and put back into those stones their durability, their strength? Do you think you could take that crumbled weak stone and make it strong again? You can't revive the stone." You can't take rubbish and make a wall out of it. Well, now Tobiah joins in. And he's got to put in his, you know, there are always plenty of sidewalk superintendents. Have you ever noticed that? The critics, there are always critics standing by to tell they've got a better way and a better plan. Monday morning quarterbacks and armchair generals and and people have always got a better plan. They can give you 17 reasons why what you're doing is not the right way to do it, but they're hard put to ever come up with a better plan, a better way to do it. Have you noticed that? But they've got the reasons why it won't work. Well, Tobiah jumps in, and Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, by the way, critics run in groups, very little face-to-face confrontation with criticism. They usually run in groups. And he said even that which they build, if a fox go up he shall even break down their stone wall. You know what I call this? Bully talk. Putting them down, ridiculing them. He said if those feeble Jews built a wall, a fox would knock it over. Trying to Demoralize these people, trying to ridicule them, ridicule their work, ridicule their materials, ridicule their God. Mark it down. If you do anything for God or try to do anything for God, you will be put down, ridiculed. It's true here. It'll be true in your life. Verse 4. How do you respond to that? When you're ridiculed, when you're put down, when the opposition rises, how do you respond? Well, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. The first thing he does is to pray. With many leaders, the first thing they do is retaliate or do it their way. But Nehemiah prays first. And that's a great principle. That is the first basic principle in dealing with opposition. Pray. Just pray and commit it to God. Talk to God. Tell it out to God. Oh, how much better would we we be as a church and as a people if we would just tell everything to God instead of gossiping to one another. Just tell it to God. And so Nehemiah talks to God. And uh, you know James is called Camel Knees because his knees were so bony from praying all the time. Praying praying. John Hyde was called Camel Knees. Nehemiah could have been called Camel Knees because of his consistent prayer life. Let me ask you a question. What nickname could be applied to to your prayer life. Too busy, careless, spasmodic, self-sufficient, camelese. He prayed consistently. And here's what he prayed. And this prayer presents problems for many people. Hear, O our God. For we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. Lord, you know what they're doing. You know what they're doing to us. They're ridiculing. They have ridiculed our people, and our materials, and our project, and our God. Now turn that anger and wrath upon their own heads. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And covet not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. Do not forgive them. Why? For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You say, well, that's that's a harsh, terrible prayer. But that's because of the Old Testament, and there was no grace in the Old Testament. No, there was some grace in the Old Testament. Moses talked about grace. Why is such a harsh prayer? Simply because, from my perspective, Nehemiah was not praying out of personal revenge. There's no personal revenge in this prayer. Nehemiah is speaking to God without any bitterness on his part. The offense is against God. This is God's wall. This was not Nehemiah's idea. It was God's idea. It was God's plan that that wall be built when they are attacking the building project of God, they are attacking God. God, the offense is against you. And you say, vengeance is yours. So you take vengeance on those who have blasphemed you. God, it's against you. And you with a pure heart can seek revenge. So seek it to vindicate your name. Whoa! A serious prayer. And it makes us realize how serious it is to stand in opposition to the work of God. Because in doing so, we stand in opposition to God himself. Now, prayer is the first step in dealing with opposition. What's the second thing? It's persistence. Persistence. Verse 6, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together to the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah prayed, but he didn't stop working. He stayed at the task. The opposition came, but he didn't stop. He kept the people working, stay at the task, pray yes, but keep on working. He did more than pray. It's how Nehemiah operated. When criticism came, when opposition came, he ignored the critics, and he prayed to God, and he kept on working. And that's what we ought to do. What do you do when opposition comes? Ignore the opposition. To not ignore the opposition only gives attention, and many times that's the desire anyway. So ignore the critics, pray to God, and keep on trucking. That said the vernacular, but that's what it's saying. Pray to God. Tell God all of it. Commit the problem to God. Commit the opposition to God. and Keep on working. Keep on trucking. Somebody has said, the saint who advances on his knees never has to retreat. We move forward on our knees. Prayer and persistence. Now I cannot emphasize Persistence, enough. Greater than talent, many talented people are totally ineffective. Greater than genius, brilliant men are unable to hold down jobs. Greater than education, there are many educated derelicts. But as Calvin Coolidge says, it is persistence that has overwhelming power. Listen carefully. Whether we are facing opposition or opportunity, it is persistence that will make the difference. Staying power, staying at it, staying at the work, following through. Persistence. How do you face opposition? Prayer. And then persistence. Continue to do what God has called you to do. If they laugh at you, keep working. If they scoff, if they throw sarcastic remarks, if they try to put you down, just keep on working. Persisting at doing what God has called you to do. Nehemiah said, God's told me to build this wall. I'm going to build this wall. I'm going to keep on building. We're going to keep on working. Hand us another brick. We'll not stop the work of God. Keep on doing what God has told you to do. Keep on obeying God. Prayer and persistence. Now in verse 7 we find the opposition intensifies. It gets worse. See, it starts off with ridicule and mockery, and if that doesn't do the job, it just gets worse. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites, you see now, you see how critics began to pile up and just uh, the, the group grows larger and larger. So now we've got a whole crowd, and they were very angry, verse 7, and conspired, all of them together. Now we've moved from ridicule to conspiracy. Now they're meeting, they've, they've had this meeting and they've conspired together, and they've got a plan, and they're going to do something to stop the work of God. Any parallel to this is totally intended. They conspired, all of them together, to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it, to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. Now, this, this is neat. This changes... Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We know that. It's all through the book. He is a praying man. He talks to God first and then he acts. But now it says, We made our prayer to God. The people began to follow the leadership and the model and the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah talked to God first. Now they want to talk to God first. Nehemiah prayed. Now they want to pray. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and now they want to be a people of prayer. So we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now don't you laugh at my third point. It's peeping. How do you handle opposition? Prayer, persistence, and peeping. Don't close both eyes if the critics are close by. I used to get about, uh, it bothers me that we, we allow ushers in our churches to take the offering, offering takers who don't tie. You ever thought about that? Because really they're robbing God, and should we close our eyes and offer to a prayer if we've got robbers with a collection plate in their hands. <laughs> We might ought to have one eye open and watch him. Watch a man who doesn't tire. Don't close both eyes when he's around, he'll pick your pocket. Well, he's saying that we're to peep. Keep an eye open on the enemy. Watch the enemy. Don't go bury your head in the sand. You've got an enemy, you've got opposition. Watch them. Know what they're planning. Know what they're up to. Pray yes. Persist, yes, but also peep. Know what the enemy is about and keep your eye on them. Now in verse 10, and and we dealt with this this morning, so I can just uh, remind you of what we said. This is the the fear part of opposition. Ridicule and threats and fear. Conspiracy, now fear. And all the way, verses 10 through 19, deal with this thing of of fear, how that that they came with these rumors. It was just a a rumor after another. And they were saying, we're going to get you. We're going to get you. We've got this plan. And they never would tell them what the plan was. But we're going to slip into the, into the, the city of Jerusalem when you don't have any idea what's happening. And we're going to be in there so quickly we've got a plan. And zap, we're going to kill every one of you dead. Now, that was a threat that they never intended to carry out. You say, well, how do you know they didn't intend to carry it out? Because they didn't carry it out. It was to intimidate. It was to incite fear. And guess what? It worked. It worked. They were afraid. Afraid of what would happen, afraid that we couldn't build the wall, afraid if we keep on building the wall that we'll lose everything we've got and we'll lose our own lives. It's not going to work. How many times do we lose heart and become discouraged and drop our hands and want to quit because we are afraid of what the opposition saying. We become Fearful. Oh, how many times have you heard in the church, oh, it won't work, we can't, we can't build that building, we can't raise that money, we can't do this, we can't do that. And the fear begins to grip us and we become discouraged and downhearted. Well, that's what happened here and it worked. Now move over to verse 17 and see the planting. They which build it on the wall and they that bear the birds with those that laid it every one with one of his hands, wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. How do you handle opposition? By prayer, by persistence, by peeping, and by planning. He had a plan. The plan was, hey, look, we've got an enemy. We're foolish not to prepare for battle. We don't want to do battle. But if we have to, to protect the project of God, to protect the work of God, to obey God, we'll battle. And so they made battle plans. Nehemiah had the people have a weapon in one hand and work with the other hand. Remember we talked about the balance in the Christian life. We work as if it depends upon us and we pray as if it depends upon God. But you have to work and you have to pray. You have to build and you have to battle. Both things are necessary in the Christian life. The balance is necessary. So they had a plan and they carried out that plan. And in verse 21, you see how they labored in the work. From the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. All day long they worked until the stars came out at night. Not concerned about the union or 40 hours in a a work week. They worked and worked and worked until the stars came out. Where are we now? We're at, at persistence again. Prayer, persistence, and peeping and planning, and then back to persistence. Keep on keeping at it. Pray, but work. Trust God, but do your best. One great preacher said, it's like, like a garden. You hold like it depends upon you, and then you, because it does. If you don't hold a garden, you're in a mess. And then pray like it depends upon God, because it does. Both are true in the Christian life. In the Olympics that were held in Russia and Moscow, there was a young man by the name of Raymond Johnson who was in the decathlon event and, and he was ahead of the, the Russian, but he was close. It was time to throw the javelin and, and he stepped up to the mark and he threw that javelin only about 196 feet. The Russian had stepped up and thrown it 206 feet and the crowd applauded because they thought that this Russian would overtake the American. and Then the next time he didn't do any better. And then he stood up for that final time. And the Americans walked up to that mark. And then he stepped back in the shadows. And he dropped his head. And he said, oh God, give me strength. And then he stepped back up to that mark and he threw that javelin with everything that he had within him. And he threw it 240 feet for a world record. You see, he stepped back and said, God, it's you. And then he stepped forward and he gave it everything that he had. That's the balance in the Christian life. We pray like it depends upon God because it does. Without God, we can do nothing. But then we work like it depends upon us because it does. How do you handle opposition? You give it to God in prayer. You keep on doing your job, ignoring the critics and keep on trucking, keep on keeping on obeying God, doing the work of God persisting in that, and yet you keep peeping at what the enemy is doing. And then you have a plan in case the enemy attacks and tries to destroy the work of God. You protect the work of God and the church of God. And then you persist and persist and persist. What are the lessons? Well, one is that Opposition is inevitable. If you haven't faced opposition in your life, you will. You will. And the more you do for God, the greater your chances for it. as clay in the potter's hand, to get us ready for for something great and glorious. And free us from our pride, and cause us to depend upon Him, and realize that within ourselves, we are infirmed, without strength, ignorant, dependent upon Him. And another lesson is that prayer alone is seldom, if ever, enough. Pray and your problems will go away? No. Pray and the opposition will melt and bow down before you and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Do you know what happened? When they prayed and worked hard, the opposition got worse. Isn't that incredible? When they prayed and worked hard, the opposition intensified. And so they had to have a plan, and they had to be willing to do battle, willing to fight if necessary, in order that they could obey God and move forward in the will of God how to handle opposition. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for the opposition that I've experienced even in recent months. I want to thank You for the barbs from the mouths of the critics Because through that, you have been able to deal with pride and selfishness in my own life and to draw me closer to yourself and to cause me to depend upon you. And Lord, I just believe that out there, there's a door about to open, a door of blessing, a door of opportunity that is more than commensurate with the problems and the difficulties and the opposition, so that we can look back one day and say it was wonderful. Wonderful. To be hurt, wonderful to be opposed, wonderful to be criticized, for without it we would have missed God's best. Speak to our hearts Lord, help us to handle opposition, not ever with bitterness or revenge, but with love and forgiveness, with prayer and persistence. And yet, Lord, when you make us as harmless as doves, make us wise as serpents, that we keep an eye open on the enemy and help us to be willing to give our lives to stand in the gap to protect the work of God. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together. Just stand right where you are, across the building. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. There may maybe those here tonight who want to move a letter and join this church by letter, by statement, we invite you to come. maybe those here tonight that have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As I mentioned to you this morning, he wants to be the director in your life. And if you're looking for meaning and purpose, then turn your life over to Jesus. Allow Him to come into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. He wants to. He'll change you on the inside. Do it tonight. Maybe some of you have battled with bitterness. Bitterness toward those who are critical of you or of your church or of your God. Wanting to seek revenge. Tonight, give all that over to God. Ask God to clean all that out of you so that you can respond to every person with love and forgiveness. And one day, thank God for opposition and problems and criticism that God used to get you ready for something He wanted to do in your life. Don't you love what... It's said about Joseph. Joseph said in Genesis 50, they meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Isn't God wonderful? Nobody can do anything to you that God can't take and use for your good. Grab hold of that and let it change your life and soften your spirit. God's invitation to your heart, as we see. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com, where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.